Hello, my name is Anoa Changa. The Way with Anoa. Good evening, everyone. Happy September. <laughs> um, today is September 6th. Welcome to The Way with Anoa. I'm your host, Anoa Tonga. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, want to give a quick shout out to my Patreons. Um, shout out to my Patreons. You know, I have five. Yay. I'm, I'm moving on up in the world. Um, I'm doing big things, so that's pretty cool. Um, and, and I'm definitely going to do... You know, as you guys come on board, the uh, patreon.com slash the way with Anoa, um, give whatever you can, you know, help sister out. Need to upgrade this equipment so I can keep bringing you hard hitting, fast moving, cutting edge news commentary and all the above, you know. Um, have a great interview lined up for uh, a little later, just a little bit. I'm Eugene Perrier of the show. Uh, by any means necessary on um, Radio Sputnik is going to be joining me in a little bit. I'm very excited. You know, I've talked a lot about, you know, I believe that people should know what the options are out there. And um, Eugene is going to come and talk to us about some of those options and some of the stuff that he's working on. Very exciting. Also, um, just want to take a quick moment to kind of divulge a little bit from just news and all the things that are going on in the world today. Uh, today is a very interesting day. So De La Soul released um, an album. I think it was last week. I, you know, I love, I love my old school hip hop. Shout out to De La Soul. First album they've released in 12 years. And it is number one on the Billboard hip hop charts this week. It was also, I think it was number two on the independently released. Like they were, they crowdfunded for this. They released it themselves. You know, shout out to independent media, right? Whether it's music, the news, like the way or whatever you're doing out there. So it's, it's pretty beautiful. So shout out to De La Soul, because that was really, that was really fly. I saw that and I was like, oh, shucks, independent media doing this thing, media, music, it's all related. Um, and then tonight is the premiere of two really exciting events for me personally. You know, I'm a little bit of a TV junkie sometimes. Um, first, you have the, the, the collaboration between Ava DuVernay, um, brilliant director, and if you're not familiar with her work, she did the movie Selma um, and Oprah Winfrey on her own channel. She's releasing a new, they're releasing a new show entitled Queen Sugar. Um, it looks visually stunning. And from the previews, I'm already hooked and I'm really excited to see what happens. Um, that comes on tonight at 10 p.m. And then you, Eastern time, of course, because I'm on Easter time. And then you have the, the, the you know, acclaimed it's highly anticipated show Atlanta from rapper Childish Gambino, also known to the lay folks um, as comedian uh, Donald Glover. And I'm torn because they come on at the same exact time. You know, Atlanta comes on FX, Queen Sugar comes on OWN. So my son uh, asked me this morning, he was like, mom, mom, can, can I stay up? Can we watch Atlanta together, please? 
and and we live in Atlanta, so obviously that's like the hot thing right now. So I definitely got to yield to the young folks so they can actually be in the, the loop when they go to school tomorrow. But um, I know that was just a little, just quick, just a little bit of something different, um, something exciting, kind of breaking it up because we're in the middle of a crazy election cycle, right? Like there's so much craziness going on. But before I get into a little bit of the election news and stuff that, that, that was happening today, um, ITT shut it shut it down. Well, they didn't shut it down. They they shut down. Um, and, uh, 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 ITT Technical Institute is is no more. Um, and they basically just shut their doors on thousands of students and employees today. You have people who who have said that they thought they were they at least they were no longer allowed to take new students who needed federal financial aid, but they were they still had existing students, right? They had people within credits of getting their degree, of graduating. Um, and, and private, you know, for-profit schools are a big issue because they prey on you know they prey on the working poor. They pay on people who have you know who otherwise would not most likely be able to go to school because traditional universities may not do not suit their lifestyle, right? Um, I've never really understood, and I would love to talk to some folks who maybe went through this route with whether it's ITT or other, you know, schools like it. I was reading an article earlier that after the big shakeup happened where the federal government, the Department of Education really started cracking down and, and, and investigating, um, there's some SEC violations, there's some allegations of fraud, there's all types of stuff going on. So um, it, it's, it's, you know, for people who still have student loans that are old for, you know, the school, um, some are, are, are looking into whether or not they're going to be able to be forgiven under various provisions that permit, like if there's an issue of fraud. So it's possible that if you were a student at ITT, that, that it's possible your loans could be forgiven. We'll see how the Department of Education. I know that the Department of Education has two very large sums that they're requiring them, the school, to pay to the government to help address issues pertaining to student refunds, et cetera. So um, that was kind of wild, though, because it seems like students and staff had no notice. It's just, we're closing. We can't do this anymore. Um, and and one, one gentleman that was interviewed by the LA Times stated that, you know, a few quarters back, there were some rumorings. So basically, when this all first started happening, there were rumoring, rumbling, rumblings that this was going to happen, that they were going to close. And they were told, the students were told that if you are an existing student, you'll be able to finish out and finish your degree. Um, so I do know that the Department of Education, for what I've read, is trying to coordinate with, you know, different locations and local community colleges, because that's the other problem with some of these for-profit schools. And if you have, like, even, like, those little junior colleges in your in your area, the credits and whoever they're accredited by, it may not even necessarily translate or, or, or be accepted by the nearest, um, you know, government institution, like, you know, a, a regular public four-year university or even a public community college. Um, short, short story. My, one of my friends, his sister, when I was in law school, she, you know, single mom had been in school, dropped out of school, went back to work, et cetera, et cetera, wanted to finish her degree. So she was a little intimidated because she hadn't been in school for so long. So she wanted to go, you know, take a step back. So the nearest community college, because we were in West Virginia, was really was rather far away. So she went to the junior college in town. And the junior college, when I was in Morgantown, is literally two blocks from WV's campus. It's like two blocks over. And at no point in time was she ever told that they would not take her credits. Like if she were to decide to go over to WVU to get her to finish out her four-year degree. She never knew that. 
So she goes to junior college, federal financial aid, similar type of situation, gets her associate's degree in one subject, you know, gets her certificate or something like that in another subject. And so when she goes over to WVU, which is literally two blocks down the street to enroll, they're like, yeah, we can't take those credits. So they'll take her earlier credits from when she was first in college, but they will not take these other credits that she, and my girl worked hard. She worked very hard and, and we were all very proud of her, but it was so disheartening. And had we not been so consumed and flustered with law school, we probably would have been able to help her figure that out sooner. But the, here's the problem. You have these schools and these programs. Yeah, they'll come. Come on. Yeah, we'll take credits from wherever. Financial aid. Mm-hmm. That's how they make their money is with your financial aid. They don't care where, where, where you get that money from. They don't care if you got to get a co-signer to get a loan. They don't care if it's coming from the federal government. They don't care because they're about they're in the business of making money. And this is the problem with these for-profit institutions, particularly when we're talking about edgy, something as valuable as education, something that's crucial to our growth and development. So sayonara ITT, and hopefully um, hopefully they can work something out for those students. And I really, really, my thoughts and prayers are do definitely go out to people who were that close to getting their degree. Hopefully they'll be able to transfer elsewhere to finish out that work. Because if you've been grinding through for years to complete a four-year degree, and now you're being told you can't get your paper? <laughs> Yeah, let's just say them ITT people probably need a little bit of uh, personal security right now. Um, But moving along, the U.S. and China have actually signed the Paris Accord. Um, I just saw this as a quick flash earlier today. You know, I think it was two years ago now, you know, several countries came together in Paris and they had the Paris Accord. Um, Brilliant, wonderful. Well, the U.S. and China have finally officially signed on bringing the, um, I think it's 26 countries in total now that have signed on, and that represents about 39% of the world's carbon emissions. Um, so, so that's a step in the right direction. And from what I was reading, that with the U.S. signing on now and China signing on, it makes it, and heaven forbid we have a President Trump, it makes it more difficult for him to undo anything. So I haven't actually read that much into that portion of the argument to give you guys any more information on that. I just know what I read earlier today. Um, and, uh, just update, you know, we've been talking a lot about the pipeline, um, and the protests out in North Dakota, um, the Dakota access pipeline, there was a temporary, there was an emergency hearing today. Um, there was already supposed to be a hearing on the preliminary injunction, I believe either Thursday or Friday already happening, but over the holiday weekend, um, the company at issue, the swine that they are decided to bulldoze and start construction in sites in specific areas that had been previously identified by a surveyor, by a historic preservation officer for the tribe um, as sacred lands, as, 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 as special places of protection. So they just magically, after this documentation, after this affidavit is provided to the court, and you know, when you provide documents to the court, you have to provide it to both sides. You know, I have to provide it to the other side too. So they they had a, a clear map to where these sacred sites were, and lo and behold, bulldozers and private security and dogs show up. So I mean, this this they're playing all sites sorts of tricks, and they've continued to have construction. I think the area where they were doing construction was like 20 miles away from, so they went out of their way to come to this specific place to start, you know, demolishing life, you know, history, culture. I mean, ancestral, you know, it's just dismaying. And, and what ensued was, you know, peaceful protesters were met, you know, reminiscent of um, 60s era photos we've seen with, with attack dogs. 
and, and armed security guards. Um, so there was an emergency, uh, uh, emergency, a temporary restraining order, emergency order was, was filed. And the U.S. Army Corps engineers said, you know, we, we support this filing. So they support the emergency injunction filing, not ultimately the permanent, you know. So they're still not changing their position, but they did support this initial stoppage in action. So what has happened in the case today is that um, the company, they, they, they cannot, where they the place where they were never supposed to be bulldozing per the information that has been submitted as this, this is an ongoing, you know, dispute right now, they, they, they can't do construction there right now. They can continue doing construction where they already were at, but the place where they clearly went to antagonize, you know, um, folks, they, they can't do that. So that was, um, just a little update and I'll talk a little bit more at length. I'll probably do a later, later edition podcast to go on and on a little bit. Cause I was talking with a friend, um, shout out to Desiree who is on the ground, who is um, national outreach director, I believe for people for Bernie. And she's also helping do media requests and stuff for um, some of the stuff with the, 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 the protests and the camp. Um, but we were talking, I was asking her questions and she's like, you know, I could just really use just some regular friend to friend conversation because it's so, can you imagine just being there? It's so emotional. You're on the go all the time. And I was like, yes, sure. What do you need? Not, don't, don't, you don't have to give me firsthand accounts. What do you need, sis? So, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in my conversation with, with, with Renee, um, Renee, Desiree uh, a little later. But now I'm joined by this very awesome man who keeps giving me a voice. <laughs> Eugene, you're in the... Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I just lost you for okay, a second. How are perfect. you, Eugene? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. This, this is pretty oh, cool. We're getting you up. Yeah, we're getting you up. We're getting you up on the screen now. But so Eugene actually had me on recording an episode earlier on By Any Means Necessary. Um, over at Radio Sputnik, and now here you are joining me, so thank you. No, I know. No, thank you so much. And tomorrow, <laughs> starting at 12 o'clock tonight, people will be able to listen to it. Okay, very cool. We had a very, very exciting conversation, which, as you just heard, will be available at, starting at midnight, um, basically about uh, the black the black youth, the black millennial vote, um, and, and, and some of the strategies uh, taken by the Clinton campaign, maybe in addressing that voting block, our voting block. Um, instead of, you know, in favor of maybe more going for moderate Republicans. I mean, the conversation evolved is really great. You definitely mm -hmm. need to check it out. Um, check out uh, By Any Means Necessary on Facebook. Are you, is, are you on Twitter too? We are on Twitter. We're on Facebook, B-A-M Necessary. So the last N, By Any Means Necessary acronym. So B-A-M-N Necessary. And then we're also on SputnikNews.com, iTunes, and Spreaker. You can just Google uh, By Any Means Necessary with Eugene Perrier. It'll be pretty easy to find. It's definitely another show to add to your roster if you haven't already heard it. I was, when I got approached to be on it, and then I was listening, I was like, oh my God, who is this dude? Because I got to add him to my life. <laughs> so, so, but I wanted to, I want to chop it up a little bit just to talk about maybe more like having our black progressive voices, you know, building out this, this, I mean, we, we talk about movements and stuff, almost mm -hmm. this generation of black progressive voices in itself is a movement, right? Like yeah. having this perspective, having this viewpoint get out there. Um, it was really exciting because I, I feel like sometimes I live in a box. And so when I was listening to you talk, I'm like, wow, 
I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. I, I think it's a good point. I mean, I think that a lot of times we underplay as black people the impact of, of COINTELPRO and I think the, the, the co-option that existed at that time that mm -hmm. really kind of severed the head of radical black political thought, uh, you know, not in just terms of, of, of people going to prison, but also people changing their political views. And, and that really, at the end of the day, you know, m maybe more so than other communities, I think the black community is really starting to find uh, a new generation voice that's really, you know, criticizing systemically what we have here in America. It's exciting. It is exciting. And um, so just just kind of getting into you a little bit, because you, you host by any means necessary, mm -hmm. but you were also kind of engaged politically, right? Just a touch. I am indeed the vice presidential candidate of the Party for Socialism and Liberation uh, here in 2016. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about the Party for Socialism and Liberation, and then we can talk a little bit more about the campaign, et cetera. Sure, absolutely. Well, we've been around for about 12 years uh, since 2004. And I would say, you know, the, the PSO, we're really just a collection of organizers and activists all around the country, uh, you know, really, you know, all regions, whatever. Uh, and, and really, if you look at the things we do, I mean, most people are just everyday people, but we're involved in all the sort of same progressive struggles uh, you, you would see uh, probably anyone watching this show involved in. So certainly, uh, I think that's maybe a little bit of our profile. I think what brings us together as an organization is a commitment to the idea that, you know, the, the range of problems that exist in our society are, are, are really deep. I mean, we're sort of as radical as reality itself is the way we like to look at it. Uh, they're really significant. And if we're really going to talk about how do we solve them, not how do we just make them not a little bit worse, we have to start talking about changing the system from capitalism uh, to, to something else, to socialism, a system that puts people's needs first. So that's what we're doing. And uh, to some degree, that's the message that we're, we're bringing to the election. Uh, but I think we're also trying to build a perspective of movement building as well. Excellent. And how do you see the challenge of movement building within an electoral political process? I mean, I think it's tricky, and I think that a lot of it depends on sort of what you want to do. I mean, I think the, mm -hmm. the type of campaign that, that we're running is a recognition of uh, I, I mean, just I'll just give you one quick fact. I mean, if you look at the economy, for example, and there's all these celebrations when like 250,000 jobs get created in a month. But if you look at the employment to population ratio, if you wanted to create enough jobs for just black males over 20 to have 100% employment, you'd have to create something like 800 some thousand jobs. So, I mean, oh, to have 100% employment, you'd have to create millions and millions of jobs, yet they create 250,000 and say, oh, hey, the economy, it's on a comeback trail. So, you know, I think for us, it's like bringing the, the reality of that and then looking at totally having to reorganize the way that we produce things, the way that we consume things, and the way that we relate to each other. And I think that type of a campaign, um, movement building is, is very effective because right. I think what we're reaching out to and what we're looking for are people who are looking at the elections because they think, hey, I can make some change here, um, mm -hmm. but are also looking more deeply, okay, how do we solve problems beyond elections? I, I think beyond that, there are challenges. I mean, I've also run for, for city council in Washington, D.C., and okay. in that case, we ran a, a different type of campaign where we united sort of a broad range of progressives from some people who are Democrats to, you know, hard left socialists. We even had, you know, a handful of anarchists in there backing us. So, you know, we had a really broad progressive coalition of everyone you could kind of think of. Uh, and in that context, it can be a little bit different because, you know, you're united around some significant goals, a handful of goals you'd want to see the city pursue. Um, mm -hmm. But beyond that, you know, building enthusiasm around that, you're still also thinking about how to build organizations that are durable and can try to make the type of change you need. So uh, I think movement building can happen through electoral campaigns, but at the end of the day, um, 
really the unity and the sinew of, of, of sort of progressive movements has to be in the streets. Hey, D, D, I love it. Thank you. I was just thinking back to one part of what you were just saying, but, but when you were saying like, you know, movement building has to be in the streets. And I've seen, you know, I've seen pictures of Gloria, um, protests like on the front lines. I know people get really excited when they still do signs, show places, but I've seen so many pictures of Monica Moorhead and Gloria as well out there on the front lines, like in so many different places across the country, actually building and working with activists, you know, almost in, there's almost a synergy, it seems like, between the work with PSL and various different activist organizations and initiatives like um, whether it was the, the RNC, DNC, like I've seen so much going on that you don't necessarily see in a traditional mm -hmm. election cycle, whether it's a concern about, you know, oh, I don't want to offend my, my donor base or whatever it is, but there does seem to be more of a focus, not so much on can we get to whatever magical percentage to get on the stage versus can we actually build the conversation and the movement in relation with the people. Yeah, no, I, I think that's it's a very good point, uh, and it's it's one of the things I, I've known Gloria for really about that whole twelve years, and she always finds a way to find her her way to the tip of the, the spear. There, I remember she and I being in Gina, Louisiana, in two thousand seven. But no, I think that's exactly it. I mean, I think that there, there's different ways you have to look at the election, and I think the way mm -hmm. that we look at ourselves, right? I mean, I think that obviously a lot of people are you know going to vote against Donald Trump, probably vote for Hillary Clinton because they think that we got to keep this guy out. Uh, I think we are we are making an argument about why that's not the most effective way. Uh, you know, hopefully a lot of people will, will see it, but I mean, I think let's just be realistic. I think that for people though, who are looking already are already engaged activists, organizers, just people who are doing none of that, but are sitting at home thinking like, man, something really serious has got to change. Right. Then I think you have to start to look at, you know, what the role uh, of an election campaign really can be for progressives. Where's change really going to come? And if we're going to, you know, exert our limited energies, are we really going to try to reach people with sort of the message we know can actually solve the problem to try mm -hmm. to build the core of a movement that won't sell out, of a movement that's going to not be compromised ideological, ideologically, of a movement that's sort of welded together uh, over the long haul for the struggle against, you know, what are very serious opponents? I mean, do we want to strengthen that movement or, or, or what? I mean, what are we really trying to accomplish? And so I think that, you know, from our perspective, uh, you know, we're not really necessarily out here competing with the other third party candidates from that right. perspective. I think there's a lot of value to what Jill Stein and the Greens are bringing. But I think what we're bringing is sort of the perspective we have in movements about where we need to go into the electoral space to try to draw some folks who are looking at elections is the most important thing to do into this broader process of building a core, um, you know, that's radical and quite frankly, revolutionary, because that's what we're talking about if we're saying getting rid of capitalism. Radical and revolutionary. All right. Like, it definitely seems to be. No, that's. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought, but no, no, no. It's okay. No, no. But because I just. I'm just like, wow. No, but definitely, I think the movement building aspect, I do think that. Because especially with this electoral cycle, right? We see so many people, particularly those who came out of the quote unquote Bernie Sanders movement, we see so many people who do have that excitement and energy, and they're not willing to put it behind. Um, Secretary Clinton. They're just, mm -hmm. for whatever, fund, for fundamental issues of whether it's fairness, what they perceive as fairness, or, you know, just a moral, you know, 
you know, a moral personal mandate, whatever it is, they just can't get behind. But they, but there are these issues that people care about that they're they're willing to work and get behind. So how do we how do we engage those people? What 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 do you as vice president say to folks? I mean, in your in your day to day work and activism to really kind of get people to learn more about the the, the, the the organization and the platform and, and more of what you're describing as movement building. Yeah, I mean, I think we just try to talk about what's going on every day. I mean, I think some places that we get invited, um, especially third-party candidates, you know, you get invited by political groups that are already sort of engaged in things, college students and people like that, uh, where I think the discussion is very heavily based around, you know, how, how do they get more involved politically, both in elections right. and outside of elections. I think that, you know, from the point of view of people who are out in the streets, I think our attitude is just to go and to listen. I mean, I think if folks go to votepsl.org, you can see a recent article from a, a, a local news newspaper in California and Gloria was out there and that was sort of one of the quotes they picked out from people like it's rare to find a presidential candidate who listens. Uh, we want to know you know what people are going through in the places we go. We're not getting on the mass media because we're shut out of that. We don't get in the debate stages because we're shut out of that. The, the, the ballot access laws are so draconian but what you can do is get out and just talk to people face to face about what's going on and then bring the knowledge that we have as people who are engaged in activists and organizers both Gloria and I and, and other members of the PSL and our supporters mm -hmm. who are supporting this campaign and say like, hey, well, you can definitely vote for us. But beyond that, there's organizations and individuals you can work with to actually, you know, keep working 365 on these right. problems and on these issues. Um, and that's what we're trying to stress to people is like at the end of the day, we're in the elections to say the elections are not really an effective vehicle for change. They're a vehicle for, I think, limited reform. But I mean, look at what we're fighting for now, labor rights, civil rights, women's rights. I thought we already won those. Exactly. 50 to what, however many years ago, right? Women's rights, I mean, it's been almost 100 years since women's suffrage passed. We've had 50 years since, 51 years since the VRA. I mean, no, exactly, definitely. Um, it does seem like in so many ways, and I've said this several times and I got my head bit off by an older Hillary supporter, but it feels like so many times that we're relitigating battles that our parents' generation and grandparents' generation had allegedly already won. And one of the things I do see is that they're like, like you were just saying, like the electoral process is a very limited means of achieving meaningful, um, not just legislative, but, but but meaningful real change, right? Real, we're talking about sustainable change. That change will last for like three years until you know the new dad <laughs> comes along. But 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 real sustainable change and engagement. I mean, I want my kids to be fighting a different battle, right? I don't want them to be fighting mm -hmm. this battle, but in the same, in a different, dressed up differently. I want them to be working on something completely different than this. I, I like for this to be set. Like, can we settle this and, and move on to some other work down the line? Um, but I like what you're saying in terms of just helping to engage people, you know, on the issues, but then also talking and listening, because that seems to be something that's really lost in a lot of ways. Like everyone seems to want to, people who are running for office, right, always want to seem to tell you about what they can, what what's so great about them or what's so bad about their opponent, and very few genuinely listen. And from following you and from following Lori, it just seems like with PSL, there's a genuine attempt to listen and to engage, not the focus, like I said, it's not the focus on getting to this, you know, proving that I'm worthy to be on that stage. I mean, we know it's messed up. We know that the third parties get blocked out of the debate stage. We know that, like you said, that the ballot access laws are draconian. We know these things, and unfortunately, they're not going to change in this election cycle. So what else do you do? Um, and, and I like what you're saying about engaging and reaching out to other people. So where are you guys with in terms of 
even though I just said ballot access is important, but how can people vote for you? Like, where are you? Do you know, like, where are you on the ballot? Write-ins? Yeah. Well, you can, you can see you can see the whole list. No, no, no. We can definitely okay. say you can see the whole list at votepsl.org. Um, we got some good ones. I apologize. I, I, oh, no, you're I fine. set an alarm. Uh, <laughs> that's not even happening anymore. But either way, uh, you know, one thing we're very excited about, we got the Peace and Freedom nomination in California. Uh, you know, historic party, Eldridge Cleaver uh, ran on that party in 1968. Um, you know, one thing I will say, too, though, that's also exciting, uh, California has terrible draconian ballot access laws, so I can't even appear on the ballot uh, or they would try to take the Peace and Freedom nomination, but the Native American activist legend, Dennis Banks, has stepped in um, in California to be Gloria's uh, vice presidential for Peace and Freedom, uh, and also in a couple other states like New Mexico, Colorado, where we're on the ballot, uh, where there's similar sort of restrictions. We're on an Iowa, New Jersey, Vermont, where we also have the uh, nomination of the Liberty Union Party, uh, Florida, and we're still seeking ballot access in in other states, uh, Louisiana, I believe. And so, yeah, votepsl.org, you can see it all. We're also pursuing official write-in status in some states where, you know, they'll actually, well, they say, uh, they'll actually count the votes. Um, uh, So you can actually write in, which is kind of crazy that, like, you people write in so many people to vote, but they don't even really bother to count them mostly, which, I don't know, says something about, I don't know, it's just another thing. We know about ballot access, but I've always thought that's interesting. Um, You basically got to, I don't know. Either way. Uh, so, yeah, so you can see us, votepsl.org. We are we are out there, and, and I think that, uh, you know, we're looking to dialogue and, and, and just build with folks and, and hopefully carry it just beyond November 6th. I mean, I think that we uh, are going to show, though, that there is a larger appetite, I think, for revolutionary-type ideas than maybe some people would think, um, and I hope we also build some bridges along the way with other folks that are looking for progressive change so that we can uh, get something here in the next in the next few years. Definitely. I think I think that, that when we talk about revolutionary change, because again, revolution has been like the new, you know, Bernie Sanders came on the scene last year, revolution sure. was the new political buzzword, and one thing my mother said was that not everybody's revolution is the same. Not everyone has the same idea of what revolution means and and you know definitely supported Bernie Sanders still support Bernie Sanders in the spirit um, but his what, what what has turned out to be revolution for him um, has raised a lot of eyebrows for many people who who were definitely about revolutionary politics it's also some finger pointing like see I told you so <laughs> but <laughs> I mean you know but that's a whole other story that's a whole other conversation but 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 what you were saying I think in terms about engaging people in revolutionary issues we've already seen that there are so many people nationwide that are ready for a change and people are able to clarify what that change is. One of the biggest mistakes I think people did made 2008 coming out of the Bush years was we said we wanted a change, but mm-hmm. we're not maybe as specific. And Barack Obama was definitely a change and the hope and change, it all sounded really good, but clearly we didn't mean the same thing. <laughs> right, know, we, right, at, at the time. No, so, you know, we got caught up with the emotionalism and yes, thank you, deliver us from this person over here. And I think over the last eight years, voters have really learned more about how to engage in the process and to clarify and specify what they mean when they're saying we want change to happen, right? Um, You know, we want change to happen, but we don't necessarily want that change to be Donald Trump, but there are other alternatives. So what do you say to people, though, when they say to you, well, as a third party, you know, you're just ensuring Donald Trump, particularly with the poll numbers, that, that have come out, um, what what is your response in that instance? 
Well, I would say there's a couple responses. I mean, the vast majority of studies that get done on third-party candidates do show that most people who vote for people who are not two major parties would not have voted. So, I mean, that's just one aspect. I mean, two, also, I mean, whose responsibility is it to get votes? I mean, I think every candidate has to try to earn as many votes as they can possibly get. And if you didn't get someone's vote, I mean, you can feel they should have voted for you. Uh, you know, hey, I could feel you should have voted for me and maybe you didn't. But if I didn't convince you, then I guess ultimately that's on me. I mean, I can't, you can't just expect people to just right. do something when they have no, I mean, what kind of political culture does that breed when it's like, regardless of trust or faith or anything, just blindly do something just to be doing it. I don't think that's what it's about. Um, so that's the number one thing I say. But then the other thing I say is I think we also have to look at, I think it's a partial logical fallacy. I mean, if you look at what's happening in this country and the rising tide of the far right, which I mm -hmm. will agree is very worrisome without a doubt. I mean, is it really going to be stopped by uh, Hillary Clinton and liberal Democrats? I mean, I, I just think that there's a range of issues that we have to ask ourselves, even from the quote unquote alt-right, that if you look at what they're saying, look more at Donald Trump as kind of like a useful idiot. He's mainstreaming ideas that regardless of who wins, they plan to be able to get more purchase hold, just like they did against Obama because he was black. They emerged right. without any Donald Trump, and they're going to use patriarchy against Hillary Clinton to drive the same sort of angry sentiment and grow, I think, regardless. So one, what kind of group and organization and movement do you need to build to face against these people, these Breitbart mm -hmm. people who are, are serious? And then I think, two, I mean, we just have to ask ourselves, like, I mean, you have the climate crisis, which is not like on an unlimited time scale, which I think is huge. But I mean, just the instability and unsustainability of the way we live, the poverty that exists. I mean, you know, how can you live in a, in a country that has more empty dwellings than homeless people, yet you have homeless people everywhere? I, I mean, I think that the reality of it is that like housing is everything that is produced in our society every single thing is produced to be sold if yeah. it serves a need that's incidental and i mean i think that's what we mean when we see say revolution if everything right now is, is right now produced to make a profit we think everything should be centered around what people needs on the basis of the resources we have and what people are able to do and i think that's a big radical shift and that's beyond elections and that's kind of the message we want to bring is like we got to get real here i mean if we need to right. cut climate change give people a decent standard of living and do it basically right now with how they're suffering. It's, those are big changes. Those are huge changes, but you're definitely right. That's not something that's going to be cured or fixed during the electoral process. Most of the, most of the things on the table right now that we actually need a resolution to are not going to be fixed through voting for president in this November election. I mean, whether it's, you know, making sure police stop killing unarmed black and Latino people, for example, right? Like, like those are so many, there's so many different moving pieces in there that are not going to be resolved by nominating, by electing Secretary Clinton as president. I mean, maybe she'll, right. I mean, and if you listen to her statements on the subject, it's, it's, it's a, it's a hodgepodge. So, so a, a climate change, it's great. The U.S. and China signed the Paris Accord today. Okay. Yay. Mm -hmm. What's that actually going to be mean? Right. Um, at the same time, we have you know the fight happening in North Dakota with the with the, with, the, with yet another pipeline to be built, right? And and, and more you know mm -hmm. spewing of of chemicals across the country. So I mean, and it's more oil in this case, but but still crude oil. But 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 we have these conversations. On the one hand, we're like, see, look, we need to do this because this is going to make things better. But then you still have ongoing. Um, whether it's bad habits or actions or, or other procedures, you know, like the, the process that's going on with the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, there's so much going on that's, that's contradictory. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's, 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 you know, people act as if one will cancel out the other somehow and make everything all right. And it doesn't. And we do need to stay active and engaged beyond just November, beyond this election cycle. And not just for midterm election voting either, but to actually like the actual change that happens. Even when we look back through history, right? When we talk about, we just talked about the civil rights movement, women's rights movement. That happened not because some legislatures got together and decided they want to pass a law. That happened because people took to the streets, people organized, people were engaged constantly to make it happen. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, and, and that's why, I mean, our message to people is, is pretty simple. I mean, if you think what we're saying is true and that the, the problems we reach can only be solved by reaching socialism, then definitely vote for us. But I mean, what we're really excited about, I think, is that there's a new radicalization inside of this mm-hmm. country. And so whatever you do November 6th, I mean, we're just urging folks like, you know, we're saying, hey, we'll see you in the streets, you know, November 7th or whatever it may be, because at the end of the day, I think we, you're right. I mean, we honestly, elections have to come to the point if we're having a truly effective movement where that's just one instrument in a whole range of tactics that's laid out strategically as part of a, a, a broader plan. But we're only going to get there not by like people just dictating to each other, but right. I think actually getting together and fighting with each other. So, I mean, you know, we believe very strongly that, you know, socialism is what we need, that we have to get rid of capitalism and that we have to really build strong united organizations that can do that. But, you know, I think there's there's millions of people who are going to be voting for, for Hillary voting for Jill Stein and, and maybe staying at home that I think we all hate a lot of the same things. So let's just stay as united as we can around that. Oh, great. I appreciate that. Can you tell he's a host, guys? He knows how to do <laughs> <his> closing. <laughs> no, I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with me for a while. Um, definitely, everybody, uh, what are the, what's the website again? It's You go to votepsl.org. Vote and then for by any means necessary, just Google by any means necessary with Eugene Perrier. Okay. And I'll tweet out those links again um, after I'm done. But thank you fantastic. so much, Eugene. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It was fantastic. Awesome. Good night. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yay. That was Eugene. See, I told you options. And um, there's a lot There's a lot to be said about this, right? Because a lot of us want to know what happens next. What, what, where do we go? Okay, we elect people on November, what is it, November 7th, November 8th, I gotta look at a calendar, but um, then what? And there are people, there are actions, there are um, organizations out there that are engaging and mobilizing and working and building with people on local levels to make those moves going further. So definitely check, check them out, votepsl.org or vote PSL on Twitter, PSL, I think it's PSL on Twitter, vote PSL on Twitter and I'll tweet out more about Eugene and by, and definitely check out Eugene's show by any means necessary. Um, so, so continuing on with just like talking about voting and stuff, one thing that I just want to kind of tie it in, and if you guys have any questions, I'm on for another 15 minutes. If you guys want to hop on the line, you have anything you want to talk about, um, 678-810-0089. See my beautiful new little screen? I have the number in the top corner. Isn't that cool? Um, but apparently there was an article today that said from The Guardian, Trump uh, basically was spewing rhetoric that could lead to voter intimidation. Now, from the headline alone, I didn't I didn't get it, and I was like, oh, whatever, that's BS. But when I was reading the article, it's basically hopping on, you know, Trump has basically been fanning the fire, fanning the flames with that that really alternative, that, that, that far-right rhetoric about voter fraud, about multiple people voting five times, and, and he keeps claiming that if he loses, it'll be because of voter fraud. So, 
what he's saying before, if you if you just look at like just just short snippets about you know rigged elections, it sounds almost kind of what many of us you know Bernie Squares talked about during the primary. Excuse me, when we talked about issues with election fraud, right? Uh, we've seen some issues that are getting resolved right now in St. Louis, Missouri. Shout out to Bruce Franks Jr. I mentioned his case um, last week. He actually has won a, a new election. Um, so next Friday, so if you have time between now and then, uh, check out BruceFranksJr.com, I believe is the website. Uh, uh, get on the phones and help Bruce win the 78th district legislative district in Missouri. Um, Bernie supporter, community activist, very strong guy. Definitely get out there and support. But in that case, you know, you had issues with irregular, or there are issues with the absentee ballots and envelopes. And actually today, the governor, Governor Nixon in Missouri, he actually appointed two new members to their um, board of elections um, in St. Louis because two people on the board of elections were actually past their term. They Their terms had already expired. They should no longer have been still sitting on the board. And so you appointed two new people today. And, and Bruce was quoted as saying that was a step in the right direction. But there were there are egregious issues, and this happens in our state houses, not specifically that issue, but but oversight, other issues, uh, in, in, uh, misapplications of law, whether intentional or unintentional, all over the place, right? We've seen um, the purging of folks accidentally. You know, we've seen egregious errors, right? So when I was when I when I first saw some tweets about it this morning, I'm thinking like, well, that's already been happening, and a lot of people if they feel that their vote doesn't matter or they shouldn't get out the vote, that's on the candidates for not actually getting out their constituencies, right? In terms of the Democratic side, you know, Secretary Clinton has strategically, whether, no, she's intentionally, she's intentionally ignored a very clear constituency and base, right? You know, she's, she's actively, no matter how much progressive organizations want to say she's a progressive, no matter how much she has her little zingers, like I'm a progressive who gets things done. I don't remember who said this. So I'm, I apologize if I'm, if I'm not giving you attribute for this quote, but somebody was saying that she is a progressive who seems like she's actually just catching up. Right. So she keeps saying she's a progressive who, who gets things done, but she's actually catching up. Right. Right. So she has to be pushed on stuff. But then she backslides because even just recently she, you know, her statement is she's for $12 minimum wage and $15 were economically feasible. I could have sworn during an election her people, including SEIU and the rest of them, tried to convince everyone that she was fight for 15. She even said herself she had always been fight for 15. Right. Uh, yeah. Now she's singing a different tune. But but back to Trump, Trump and his voter intimidation. And this, he's feeding into this rhetoric of voter fraud. Voter fraud, again, is distinguished from election fraud when voter fraud refers to actual individual people defrauding the system, whether by voting multiple times or in across jurisdictions or, you know, not having proper paperwork, whatever the case may be. And that's actually virtually non-existent. Like there, there are so few actual issues of voter fraud that are ever actually found. And we've seen so many of these, these, so like in North Carolina, we've seen North Carolina got their hands slapped back on some of the issues with their voter ID law, North Dakota, um, you know, there are, I think Texas was, was another place that had their hands slapped back. Uh, Wisconsin has a law that has educational um, you're supposed to educate people about the voter, the, the new voter law, and they never did ahead of the primary. So also keep in mind, like this is the first presidential election that we have about the protections of Section Five of the Voter, the, the Voters' Rights Act, right? So we have huge issues, 
huge, huge issues going on. And we have idiots like Donald Trump fanning the flame of, well, those people might start defrauding. Like they're going to ship in people to come vote against me so I can't win. Like this isn't a real, this is, this isn't a real scenario by any church and imagination. This never happens. But we've seen other things happen, like people taking absentee ballots to, but that's all anecdotal. And there is no actual evidence of actual voter fraud, right? Of individual people actually themselves doing something fraudulent in the voting process. And this is what Donald Trump is harping on. And the concern is that this type of rhetoric will either discourage or impede the possibility of people being able to engage in the political process. On the flip side, Again, we cannot ignore what's happening on the Democratic side where there's just been this air of inevitability since last spring, and it basically has discouraged many people from being engaged and involved in the process. I mean, why would you, why should I, young Black woman in America, why should I vote? I mean, all you keep telling me is that Trump is an idiot and Trump is bad. Okay, he's an idiot and he's bad. And there's been a lot of people who are idiots and bad. And I mean, I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still kicking. Like, so, so we need more, you know, we need more. If we're so concerned about the Trump's presence, we're so concerned about what Trump's Trump's rhetoric might do to potential voter, you know, engagement, then why are you not engaging us? Democrats talking to you. I don't know how many of you left watching my show, (laughs) but seriously, where is the voter engagement? There's no way that you can effectively court moderate Republicans and pray to get the, those who will flee the Trump ship and court us, you know, stronghold, typical Democratic base people at the same time. It just doesn't happen. And and obviously, when you look at the recent pollings, and in the recent polling, um, Hillary Clinton and Trump are almost effectively tied nationwide with Gary Johnson, I believe it was 7% in one poll I saw earlier, and Jill Stein at like 3%. There, there's so little wiggle room. There's so little, you know, if you're 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 not driving people out. There was also a piece in the New York Times recently about um, black millennial voters nah, not really going for Hillary Clinton. You know, of those they polled, you know, overwhelmingly, of course, they're supporting um, Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. But when you look at Black millennial voters as a voting bloc compared to for supporting Hillary Clinton as compared to President Barack Obama, it's a huge drop, right? So there are more of us this go around who are considering third party um, support or not voting or whatever the case may be, but not supporting the Democratic. I mean, still, there's still a large majority who are going to support the Democratic nominee, but there is an increase. And the conversation is turning on whether or not when you look at swing states, you know, whether or not this 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 percentage, this difference is enough to to to, to cause concern. Um, and, and I would argue whether it's enough to cause concern or not, I do think that it's a conversation that needs to be had about the way in which we engage with people in the voting process. And it's not just black millennials, it's millennials across the board, right? Our generation, the 35 under, all of us, we want to be engaged on the issues. We want to be engaged with arm length dealings and not this feeling that you're just going to screw us over when you, when you go back behind closed doors. That is something that's been accepted far too long for politicians, and we need to change the way things are done. So that's it for tonight, y'all. I know, like <laughs> keeping it light, keeping it moving, keeping it keeping it easy, easy breezy, you know. Um, 
definitely want to give a shout out again. Thank you, Eugene, for coming on. Stick around. Benjamin Dixon's coming on right after me. Um, and there's a lot going on. There are some new episodes. Shout out to the Louisa Project. Louisa Project is the newest addition to our podcast, Revolution Family. Um, and it's also now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher as well. Very exciting. Um, also, you know, I really, I really, I really want everybody, and I'm going to tweet out links because I can't really do it right now. This is why I need you all to support me and donate to the, can be a Patreon. If you're interested in doing just a one-time donation, I'm going to set up an Indigo um, crowdfunding account because uh, I got to get a new computer because there's, I can't actually do things like send out links to you. I can't even mean to chat with you anymore because my computer is so antiquated. Um, but it's not just that I'm trying to get a new computer off of you, because I'm not, because I still use my computer for things that I want to do um, besides streaming. But I really want to be able to make sure that I'm providing you with clear, consistent um, videos of high quality, because there are really great people that we're starting to reach out to, that the way is getting built out to be a stronger, progressive voice. And and I want to I want to be able to match Ben's quality, right? I want I want you all to have consistency. I mean, you deserve it. You deserve quality voices. You deserve quality in your videos, like, right? So, um, so you know, if you could become a patron, that'd be a dollar, five dollars, big baller, twenty-five dollars. I mean, whatever you can spare would be absolutely fabulous. Don't worry, I'm already, I'm hitting on my own family too. But, but no, seriously, I really feel like this is something that I can contribute on, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to build out the show enough where I can do this more than once a week. Um, if you have not already done so, please like and subscribe uh, my videos on my YouTube channel, uh, The Way With Fanoa. Um, you can check out my extra content on thewaywithfanoa.com, which is through Podcast Revolution. Shout out to Michael Salamone. Um, and just 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 keep keep it moving. I look forward to talking to you. Got some stuff in the works. And um, yeah, so happy Friday. I mean, happy Friday. See, you see where my mind is? It's a 40, it's, we had a holiday weekend and I'm already thinking about Friday. But um, yeah, it's been a long day, long weekend. I hope you guys, you know, enjoy the rest of the, the rest of your week and definitely stick around. Um, Ben will be up very shortly. All right, peace. The way. Noah.